another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's episode is sponsored by Enoro. Now, managing a mixed fleet can be very complex. However, you're very likely sitting on a gold mine of telemetry information that by activating can completely transform how you manage and maintain your equipment. Get your data working for you. Enoro's simple software solution links your telemetry data being captured by your equipment to data in your operational systems, then surfaces it on one screen, giving you a unified view of all of your operations. So you can streamline processes, automate your rental workflows, reduce maintenance costs, and maximize your fleet utilization. Find out how Enora can help you take better control of your fleet at www.inauro.io forward slash rental or give them a call on 1300 462 876. On the podcast today, as a guest, we have Stephen Whitehead. Stephen spent eight years working at Kennards Hire in a number of various roles. He also was an account manager at Hilti for close to seven years. And today he is the area sales manager at Vermeer Australia, which is part of RDO Equipment Australia. Stephen, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, do you want to talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? Thanks very much for having me, Mark. It's a, it's a real pleasure, big fan of the show. Look, it's a, it's a funny story in that it was um, one of those things that I completely fell into. I'd spent much of my you know, later adolescence and, and the early period of my 20s sort of flitting from, from job to job with very little thought to where I was going in life. Uh, I'd worked in carpet cleaning industries, uh, carpet laying. I'd worked you know, in different retail sectors, um, even did a stint as a, as a crime scene cleaner, um, which, which wasn't for me. But uh, at any rate, I'd, I'd just recently left some employment and was um, dating a, a girl from New Zealand. And going around to her place for dinner one night, uh, her roommate's partner was the manager of Kennard's Hire at East Brisbane, a gentleman by the name of uh, Peter Colson. He's still currently a manager in Queensland here. And uh, he was asking me what I, what I did for a job. And um, yeah, I meekly told him that I was gainfully unemployed. And uh, he said, if, he, if you'd like, I can see if he can get an opportunity to start at Kennards Hire. And look, I'd, I'd heard of Kennards. Uh, I'd, I'd see the ads on TV. I knew they made your job easy. But apart from that, I really didn't have much of a clue, but I, I needed a job. So he, he lined me up some casual employment at, um, at the Bowen Hills store. And they kept me on casual for a few weeks and reports were you know, pretty good from the management. But they, the guys at Bowen Hills weren't prepared to offer me a, a full-time position. So... Peter once again stepped in and uh, offered me a full-time role at uh, his East Brisbane branch, which you know got the people who ran the Bowen Hills branch nose a little bit out of joint in that they were hoping to, to do the same thing. But you know, first in breast dressed in, in my mind, I took up the, the full-time role with Peter there as a, as a serviceman driver, an entry-level position, which is um, you know, by and large where a lot of people start within Kennard's Hire. It really is the place where you cut your teeth. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a complete mistake, Mark, but um, one that I... I certainly haven't regretted. Wow. So, so when you went into that role, did you know much about equipment or general hire at all? Absolutely nothing at all. I had no idea of the concept of the business. You know, hire to me previously really was the, the remit of, you know, Blockbuster and Video Easy and, and, you know, libraries and such places. I had no idea that people would, you know, go in and, you know, pay a, a nominal fee to, 
rent or acquire a piece of equipment for a certain period of time for an application and then, and then return it. I had no idea really about, you know, the fundamentals of the hire industry. Didn't know a thing or two about tying a piece of equipment down, cleaning, servicing. You know, it was a real apprenticeship in, in, in the hire game. And uh, it was fantastic in that, you know, every day was, was completely different. As a, as a child, I was always the child that, that enjoyed playing with the Tonka toys in the, in the, uh, the sand pit. You know, I always had a bit of a fixation for plant machinery. So I was really a, a kid in a candy store. Uh, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I absolutely loved learning about different pieces of equipment. I loved learning the, the ins and outs on how they worked. And I really enjoyed the, the customer interaction. I remember one of my, my mentors, very early on the piece, he, he said to me, he said, Steve, what do you think that, that person wants who's, who's walking through the door? And uh, you know, it's some kind of joke, like is it a shovel, a, a wheelbarrow, a concrete mixer, something like that. He said, no, they want help. And it was one of those real moments, a real light bulb moment went off in my mind. I was like, right, they, they do. And like when you start approaching the business in, in that sort of mindset, it really does open up the possibilities. And, you, and you know, men can be very proud in their bearing and, and in their approach. And, uh, you know, you need to deal with but predominantly the, the customer base in, in construction and in hire is predominantly male. Um, things are changing, obviously. But, you know, you needed to be very sensitive to that, to that pride in a lot of instances. So once I, once I understood that it was just a, an element of help, it was how I could be helpful to the customer. Mm, that's awesome. So it'd be interesting to dive a little bit into this. So you were unemployed. You weren't sure what you wanted to do. You got a job at East Brisbane, serviceman driver. You would have worked your way through various roles, but can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the mindset and what you applied and, and I guess how you ensured that it kept you as a, a career in hire? Because that's probably a key aspect to anyone that's new to the industry. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably something you, that you'll probably come back to throughout the discussion, but it absolutely is a, is a career. And uh, at that point in my, my life, I, I wasn't really looking for a career. But uh, I quickly understood that the, the people around me within Kenarts, uh, above me, beside me, at other organisations, sorry, at other elements of the business, had by and large started off where I was currently. And once that knowledge dawned on me, I realised that there, there could be a, a career within Kenards and within the broader hire industry. And uh, from that point on, it was really just a matter of taking on as, as much responsibility as I, as I possibly could and really applying you know what i what i learned on a day-to-day basis to you know increasing my i guess attractiveness to to progress through the roles there and and yeah you're right i, I started off in the in a very entry-level role and worked my way up through the chain um, at different branches in different roles and really i call it an apprenticeship because it's very similar to an apprenticeship in that you you know you're continuously building upon a, a sum of knowledge you know working up to a point where you are a journeyman of your of your trade so to speak and and that was one of the things that I was really proud to work for Ken Arts for is that the, the people that were above me and, and were giving me the, the orders and the tasks and setting out my responsibilities for day-to-day basis. Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with? Closing more deals? Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it? Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you a simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www.try.rentalarrow.com. Now back to the podcast episode. They weren't coming from a different planet. You know, they, they'd been in my shoes. You know, they, they knew exactly 
what I had as far as challenges to come up against. They, they'd been through the job themselves. They knew what the pain points were. And they could really relate to me on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I think, you know, that's an important thing for any organization. Everybody's had the, the nasty experience of, of working for a, you know, a manager or an overseer who, who really has no understanding of the, the core business. But uh, I never felt that in Kennards. And you could always see that. I remember a gentleman telling me once um, when I was very, very new to a twice position that I took up. And he said that he'd worked for a lot of businesses, but he'd never worked for one like Kennards and he would never work for anyone else. And that was going on 15 years ago and that gentleman's still with the business today so he you know he he lives what he said and he he it was definitely his ethos in life and i think you'll find that sort of story continuously throughout Canards. you know the the people that are there the people that are engaged and the people that have that you always sort of seen to pop up have been there for a very very long time they're engaged in the business they know what's expected of them they know the people around them also have relevant input into what they do on a day-to-day -day basis so for me personally, it was it was really just having that that insurance in the background, knowing that if I applied myself, you know, if I showed up, I did what was expected, I went above and beyond for you know meeting customer satisfaction, that that I too would progress, and and that was definitely the story for myself, and I've seen it countless times with other individuals, and I would encourage anybody moving into the hire industry, whether it's with Canards or Coates or any of the other specialist hire equipment companies, to definitely consider it a career. You know, I don't work within the industry anymore, but I I work around it. And it's a funny thing that within, within hire in general, people will tell you that, you know, it's a bit like Roach Motel. You can check in, but you cannot check out, you know, like it leaves you almost vastly underskilled for anything else, but it leaves you incredibly experienced in the myriad of tasks and, and applications that you need to perform within the industry. Mm. It's something that I've spoken about a few times on the podcast, like people that aren't involved in the industry don't even know the industry exists. So they drive down like a highway and they see all these machines on the side of the road and they just think that construction companies own them all. And then you tell them, oh no, they're owned by people that rent those machines out. And like, what? That's a thing? <laughs> and then, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing that the, the a niche market can be so, yeah, under wraps in certain parts of, of the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you've no doubt attended HRIA uh, conferences and things like that over the years and the, the sheer amount of, of engagement that you can see from not just the, the people within the industry, but the people that supply to it as well. Like it really is an integral part of, of every business. You know, I've worked for a few suppliers now that supply, among other um, organizations, industries to the hire industry. And it's such a massive segment of what they do. I mean, you know, A, it's, it's, um, it's a massive advertising organization hire. You know, like if you can get your product line onto the floor of a hire company, you know, the, the amount of eyes, the amount of use that that thing's going to get that you wouldn't otherwise have, you know, real, the real market research, you know, that's, that's, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, you can pay organizations to do market research, but, you know, real customers, real people, real applications are happening every single day. So it's just a massive win for, you know, organizations that supply to that industry. And yeah, you're right. Like, I think it's one of those things, it's a bit like the, um, <laughs> The Doctor Who telephone box, you know, from the outside, it just looks like a nondescript blue container, but you open it up and wow, you know, there's, there's a lot inside of that thing. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to talk through some of the roles that you've had over your career and where you work today as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, as I, as I mentioned, uh, initially I was uh, in a service room driver role, which is the, the standard sort of entry level position where you're responsible for you know, cleaning, servicing, you know, the retail transactions with, with customers over the counter obviously delivering equipment, returning it as well. Uh, from there, I moved into directly into a management role, 2IC position at the Rock Lee branch. 
And it was around about that time that I began sort of traveling back and forth from overseas. I had always had a bit of a passion for travel and you know, began working periods of time in tourism and tour guiding overseas and would come back to Kennards sort of six to nine months every year and, and work within different roles there. So I've worked in roles as a, as a hire controller, uh, where you're predominantly in charge of, of the hire process itself, you know, how it works from customers driving in to driving out with bits of equipment. I had the opportunity to work in several branches as a, as a maintenance controller, which was absolutely fantastic in that you um, you're in control of the maintenance side of things, which is an integral facet to, to any hire business, you know, tools that, that aren't ready for hire on the, on the floor are tools that can't generate revenue. So that, that, particular position was was incredibly pleasing because you had a real direct effect on the revenue that branch was making and also the the quality of experience customers were having with the equipment due to its you know ostensibly good maintenance levels so i ended up leaving the hire industry in end of 2013 not from um any real negative sense of of the work itself but my body had began to to sort of give out you know years of of not listening to older people telling me to you know bend at the knees, get some help, had, had done my relatively small frame and my back in. And I was finding that I was spending a lot more time off work than, than on work. And, and that really wore in my conscious, um, you know, letting my team down, not being there to support the guys. And, you know, most higher branches, for better or for worse, run quite lean. You know, obviously the, the staffing elements are, is a huge cost, so people control that quite tightly. And any, any sick days, any, you know, days without, you know, without work would, would put extra pressure on your team. And, and those branches, um, the teams in those branches are very, very tight. You know, like you work shoulder to shoulder with these guys day in, day out through thick and thin. And that really started to wear on me. And I decided to, to change roles and ended up taking up a, a sales position with, uh, with Hilti Australia, uh, which is my first sort of foray into to sales and um, worked with those guys for about six to seven years. And um, in May last year, uh, just as the pandemic was getting rolling, you know, people change and, and organisations change too. And I realised that my values were no longer aligning with, with Hilti's uh, new method of doing business and was fortunate enough to have run into um, a couple of the gentlemen that work for Vermeer Australia at different HRA events. Vermeer had, has a lovely um, dealership here in, in Brisbane. And from the moment I walked into the place, it, it really felt like the this felt like a story. You know, when you, you walk into some places sometimes and you can just feel there's, there's, a, there's a story there, there's a, there's a history, there's a, an ethos. And immediately upon walking into that place, I thought, oh my God, this place is not just has engaged employees, but there's some history there and a, and a steep history as well. And it was definitely one of the things that attracted me to, to Kennards initially once I got across their story. And, and I've always been a big fan of, of stories. Hilti had a, had a great story as well. And uh, so that one really stuck in my mind. And, and, on the morning that I decided to leave Hilti, I looked on Seek and I saw that there was a, a role going as an area sales manager with Vermeer. And I thought, mm, that's that looks too good to be true. So I uh, applied and uh, yeah, the only job I applied for and I you know, received confirmation of, of employment within about a, a week or two with those guys and, and took up the role from there. So yeah, currently work as an area sales manager in um, Vermeer's compact division. So um, what that means is I, I sell the, the compact equipment line that's um, mini skid steers, uh, small chippers, small stump grinders, small trench rollers. And um, Vermeer is in partnership in Australia with RDO Equipment, uh, who are a large John Deere agricultural and construction business. So I also have the ability to sell across portfolios, uh, which is nice. So I get to smell, sell also the, the John Deere compact uh, construction equipment as well, which is a really nice tie into my, my core business with Vermeer. So working at Kennards Hire for so long, around eight years or so, 
like how beneficial was it having the real world experience of working in a higher location or rental location and then moving on to the OEM side with Vermeer? How did that transfer? It's a great question. Um, you know, look, I, I probably have done a lot of soul searching over the last sort of four or five years. And I don't think I realized at the time how lucky I truly was to get that opportunity to, to start a career in hire and a career at, at Kennards. Um, to say it was anything less than integral to, to who I am today would be a gross understatement of the fact. It gave me such a great exposure to, obviously, the construction industry, the civil, the commercial, the industrial side of things, and moreover, uh, I guess, a broad experience across a, a very diverse product range. You know, you became comfortable with all sorts of equipment. And from moving from Kennards into uh, the OEM side of things, um, I was very comfortable and, and competent in, I guess, dealing with the products that I, that I had at, at hand. At first, it was, it was power tools with Hilti. Um, they're a, a massive segment of, of what Kennards do. In fact, you know, the, the jackhammer sort of power tool lines are, are you know, it's an extreme revenue turnover, high volume um, segment for, for any hire business. So having that, that competence uh, in the background there really was a, a feather in my cap, especially talking to customers out on site. You know, there's, there's an opinion that, you know, a, a good salesman can, can sell anything. And that's, that's absolutely true. But, you know, a lot of customers are looking for somebody that, that knows what they're talking about when it comes to the equipment, you know, not just the, you know, the standard pros and cons of any sort of sales cycle. They can really talk on an individual level, not just that can, can pull it apart and put it back together, you know, on the side. It, it, it builds confidence in that, in that customer that the representative they're talking to not just you know, knows how to sell the equipment, but also knows what it does, knows how to fix it, can understand colloquial terms. I think that was another, just to touch on that quickly, the, the vast array of customers that would come through and the, the very different names people have for things. Just be able to understand the, the colloquial terms alone that when somebody rings up and they want to talk about you know, A, B, and C, that you could, you could relate that back to what it actually is. You know? Whereas that, that can be a, a really tough point for people sometimes. Like, what, what are you even talking about? That's not... That's not a um, a strimmer. That's a, a line trimmer or a whippersnapper. You know what these things are. Yeah, are very funny. You know, and then obviously moving into larger plant machinery with Vermeer, that's just been an absolute joy. Like as when I joined Kennards, there wasn't a lot of large plant there. It was still predominantly a you know a smaller general hire store. Obviously had a great reach, but the bigger stuff was more handled by by I guess the likes of Coates and, and National um, prior to their their merger in the early two thousands. But as I progressed through Kennards, we had more and more of that larger plant as Kennards began to take market share or, or get into the, that space. And um, so I had a bit of exposure to that sort of stuff too. So it was fantastic to be able to, you know, apply that knowledge that I had about engines and about you know, hydraulic pumps and things like that into what I'm doing currently. But to be frank, the, the greatest challenge moving from Kennards into an OEM sales role was the sales process itself. As a, as a, a worker in the hire industry, you're classified as a, as a retail worker and that's borne out by the fact that you know when canards and other organizations put their employees through training they give them you know certificates in retail whether it's a cert three or a cert four the biggest challenge i faced was having not having customers walking through the door to approach me the biggest problem i had was how do i approach a customer how do i get them to engage in what i'm trying to do and how do i get them to give me a purchase order give me an order how do i make my budget that's where I really, really struggled. And I think anything in, um, obviously, Kennards does have some business development roles. I was never, I applied for one and, and did a little bit of training, but didn't have a lot of exposure. That was a real big challenge for me. How do I go out and find those customers when I was so used to having them, you know, come in and really being a, the master of my own domain, so to speak. Mm. So how did you 
take on that challenge then because really you're so used to inbound leads coming, walking into a Kenard's branch and saying, this is the problem I have, help me solve it, to cold calling, warm calling, calling accounts, trying to promote new equipment, all that sort of stuff. So how did you manage that transition? Poorly to begin with, Mark, extremely poorly. In fact, I was, uh, I was in Sydney working with Kenards when I left the organisation and the role that was offered to me was in Perth. And I'd had about enough of Sydney at the time. I'm, I'm from Queensland originally. And like all good Queenslanders, I uh, prefer to live in Queensland and especially when it comes to footy season. And the opportunity came up to, to go to Perth. Never been to Perth before. So I flew to Perth and my first day in Perth was my, my first day in Hilti. And it was a real struggle. The guys were, were very supportive. Um, all management was fantastic. They provided you know, as much or more uh, training than you'd, you'd ever expect an organisation to do. But sales is one of those things that, that you can't teach. It's, uh, it's something that you, you know, everybody's individual, everybody's different, everybody has their own technique. And sure, there's books and you know, there's disc profiling and there's you know, triple S strategic selling procedures. But you, know, you take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, and you try to develop your own approach. Um, and you probably know for yourself, that's, that's how you really win businesses by being honest and genuine. But I struggled. I really, really struggled. There was about a three-month period where I thought I had made the greatest mistake of my life. I was, in fact, already sniffing around canards in Western Australia looking for a, you know, a bone. Uh, but my state manager, I think he, he, he was a great reader of people. He was originally the, the company Sherpa, which is a, a role specifically Hilti where they're in charge of, I guess, the moral and the um, engagement of the business prior to his state manager role. And I think he saw me looking, <laughs> to be frank, inconsolable and despondent uh, in the office there. And he pulled me aside and, and Mark Kelly was a was and is a great fan of the, uh, the whiteboard and the markers. And he sat me down and he, he said, Steve, this is your sales career, right? And he drew a squiggly line up and down, up and down, up and down across the blackboard. What's this guy going on about? Where's this going? And, uh, and he's got a very, very broad Scottish accent as well. So he's got to really listen to him quite closely. And anyway, he put a, he put a dot at the bottom of one of these arcs and he said, that's where you are right now, you know, and, that is going to be where you're going to be in six months' time as well there, six months' time as well. But look in between. You can have these highs. Sales is one of those things that, you know, you can't create it. The only thing you can control in sales is your ethics. You know, do you turn up every single day? Do you make a plan? Do you stick to it? Are you honest with your customers? These are the only things that you control. Now, if you can do those things right, sales will come or they won't. It's just important to stay consistent in, your, in the process. And he told me that and... I thought, okay, I'll give this another go, you know, and I, and I really knuckled down on my approach. You know, I got, I got a lot more strategic in, in the way that I was um, planning my calls. I think before that I was probably relying more on what's called comfort calls. I wasn't going outside of my comfort space. I started being a bit more aggressive in my intentions, um, a little bit more, I guess, confident and bold in my, in my approach. And within about three weeks, I, I landed a considerable sized order with, uh, with Coates Hire over there for some, some cordless tools. And it literally just turned my career around. You know, all of a sudden I was out of the, out of the, the bottom and all of a sudden at this, at this center point, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And that really set me up for a career in sales. From there, I knew in the low points, that's okay. That's, that's, that's normal. Just keep crossing the T's, keep dotting the I's. And if you do everything right, you'll be back on top. And sure enough, you know, that's sometimes the the highs are more protracted. Sometimes they're a little bit more truncated and sometimes the lows are more protracted, a little bit truncated, but at least you know that that's how it's going to be in sales. So that was the biggest challenge. That's how I, that's how I managed it. I was, I was, I was coaxed. I was helped through. And um, look, I always think back to that time now when things get tough, just to, just to get tougher about it. Mm. Something that I've noticed in sales with a lot of people and the mistake that they make is 
when they don't know something or they get nervous or they get under pressure or there's a target or whatever it is that's making them feel anxious and the customer asks them a question, they'll just say yes. And it just digs this hole that you're digging and it's just getting worse and worse. And I think it's something that like I try and teach people a lot, even it's out of this podcast. Like I, I always say, like, say no more often. Like if you don't know the answer, say no. Or if you do know the answer and it's not there, just say no. Like customers want to know what you can and can't do so they can evaluate your like, like where you fit into the, the, the placement there. And if you can't do it, then that's the whole point of a partnership. Let's work together on making a yes. Like it's pretty simple, but people get very nervous, I think, and they, they make quick decisions. And as soon as someone loses trust, then you're pretty much gone. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. And the, the word you use there, partnership, is the is the right word to use. I think that's um, I try to use it a lot when I'm when I'm referring to business that you know, that you're partnering with my organisation and I'm I'm partnering with yours. And yeah, the honesty is a big thing. You know, I think <laughs> salespeople can often fall into the the trap of thinking that you're cleverer than everybody else, but the customer only has to remember one of you. You've got to remember a thousand of them. And I've found, you know, no matter how you know big or small or you know insidious or, or well-intentioned the the lie might have been they always come back to get you every single time because a customer won't forget what you've told them you know especially if it's something in their favor so you're 100 correct you know honesty is the key you know if there's there's no integrity in the relationship it's not going to be a fruitful one um you know that's a that's a ground that's been been fertilized with with ill intent for lack of a better word and um, the fruit that that tree bears is not going to be satisfying for either parties at the end of the day. So yeah, absolutely, you've got to be honest. And I found that you know saying no is 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 often very liberating in a discussion because quite often a customer can be can be testing you as well. You know, they'll ask you, you know, what's the the cc's of this engine? What's the width of that? You know, what's the output of this? And they full well know that you know you wouldn't have a clue about every single specification. You know, but what and and that doesn't matter. They're just testing you out. You know, they and whether it matters to them or not. What the customer really wants to know is, is are you going to look after them? You know, are you going to answer the phone call you know, when, they, when they call? Are you going to have a, a pound of flesh, a bit of skin in the game with them? You know? like if you can engage with customers on that level, you'll always be successful. I think one thing I really struggled with was that I thought you needed a, a pitch, you know, like a spiel that you could you know, sell ice to Eskimos, for, I guess to quote the old adage. But I realized pretty quickly that you just needed to be yourself. You know, and, and, you know, most people are pretty good at getting along with other people and you know, maybe salespeople are, are more chameleon-like than, than in other people in other industries, but that's by necessity of the, you know, the, the vast array of people you deal with. But, you know, you really do need to just, you know, connect with people on, on an honest level, you know, and if you can deal with people like that, you know, you'll have success. Mm. Yeah, I think gut feel. I, I've, I've been taking like my initiative and my, my gut feeling a lot more as I've got older, like so intuition maybe is probably a better word. So like when I, when I feel something in the first 30 seconds or minute, or when I meet someone, like I, I usually like refer back to that. If I need to make a big decision, it's like, that usually is a pretty good indicator of like who the person is or what they're trying to achieve and that sort of stuff. Cause you know, when someone's just trying to like get over you with something and yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's pretty obvious, <laughs> especially in sales that you can read pretty quickly if someone's on your side or not on your side, or they're just trying to just get that little extra win for their, for their target. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the disc profile breaks down, you know, individuals into into four broad categories, but yeah, that's that's probably even less reliable than the than the zodiac chart. But I but I find that it's probably a good basis. You know, you can. I'm I'm a very high C on the uh, on the disc profiling, so I I automatically have a little bit of trouble with with very high Ds. 
But unfortunately, most owners of businesses and people in you know, positions of authority are also extremely high D. So that's been a, a tough one for me to work work around over the years. And I've found exactly as you've described just there, like you, you look for that connection, you know, you look for that, you know, what's what's important to this customer? Because at the end of the day, like what you're offering, what you're selling, what you're what you're producing, it needs to add value to their business, you know. And I think there's also a time often in a sales cycle, and, I, and I've I've found myself saying it over over the years, occasionally, not always, but it doesn't hurt to often say, look, I don't think this product's right for your business. You know, like I, I really don't, you know, from the experience I've garnered through the through the hire industry, through the, through the different applications that I've seen of the different products that I just think you might be barking up the wrong tree. And nine times out of 10, those customers that you, you know, reject in a sense, you know, they come back to you again and again, because, you know, you've, you've turned their business away. It's almost a case of, you know, wanting what you can't have almost, you know, but I think on a fundamental level, it's that you've, you've been honest with somebody. You haven't just tried to sell them something that they don't need. Because I've been in that situation where, you know, you, you go for the sale because you're, you know, you're chasing your target and, and you are a salesman, you know, you want, you want to produce sales, that's what you're hired to do. But often those sales are terrible. You know, not only do they, they negatively impact the customer's business, they negatively impact the customer's experience with your organization. And due to, you know, refunds or constant repairs, um, you know, or, or downtime and, and providing loan tools and things like that, it can ne- negatively impact your own business. So it behooves a responsible salesperson to, to, to really, you know, focus in and zero in on exactly what the customer needs. And if it's not what you're currently offering, there's no harm in saying no in that. Mm. Yeah, the other thing that comes to my mind as well is is when, when you're doing more outbound sales, when you're reaching out to people, like the customer that you're talking to, their whole world isn't revolving around your pitch or what you're selling to them. They've got their business that they're running. They've got their employees or their staff or whatever it is. And I can't remember what it was. There was a podcast I was listening to and they were talking about that usually it can take like four, five, six, seven, eight touch points before someone buys something. And that's someone that wants to buy something. And so if you just do one touch point and then think, no, nope, they're not interested, like they might still be interested, but they're busy doing other stuff. So it's it's about consistency, as you sort of referred to earlier. Yeah, you're 100% right. You know, we've all, anybody who's been in sales, you know, we've all heard the story about the, the representative that, you know, that approached a business, you know, 30 or 40 times over the period of four or five years and and then finally landed the order, you know, just through through sheer tenacity. But yeah, I mean, that, that's obviously a, I guess, a rare anomaly that something might take that long, you know, and, and good on the sales rep for persisting for so long. But but absolutely, you know, not, not just touch points with that customer too, but also, you know, broadening your scope within the, the organization, you know, not just going to the one person, you know, making yourself known to different elements of the business, you know, and understanding what's important to them. You know, obviously if it's a, you know, if you're, you're getting touch points within accounting, you know, perhaps, you know, e-invoicing and electronic elements around that might be important to them, you know, for you know, the health and safety officer, you know, it's important that, you know, you're making him aware of the the health and safety aspects of your product, you know, and right down to the, you know, the the project manager who's more engaged and influenced by by productivity and those sorts of costs in around that. Like it's really about tailoring your approach, you know, so I guess to to go after the the one contact and trying to break into an organization that way, you know, you're really just dealing with the tip of the iceberg, you know, the behemoth that, that lies beneath the water. That's where the where the true gains are. So yeah, I think, you know, business partnering within, you know, an organization and, and looking to grow that contact list, that's another great way to really generate revenue as well. Yeah, for sure. So let's learn a little bit more about you. So who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective? Yeah, I've had a few over the years and um I referenced one earlier on in our discussion the, the probably the biggest influence that I've had in my career um, inside and outside of hire is a gentleman by the name of 
of Jamie Bache. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a an area manager in Queensland. He was an area manager when I joined. He's he's still an area manager, and he's he's somewhat of an, of an institution here in Queensland. I remember when I first worked in some Sydney branches for Kennards, and I had assumed that that like McDonald's, and I mean Kennards has referred to the McDonald's principle of you know homogenisation within the branches. You know the the red counter here, the service bay there, the dust bay over there. That things are very structured and similar. I'd assumed that that by and large, the, the standards and the, the operations would be similar across the country. I've soon realised that, that every state uh, had its own, I guess, flavour is probably the best way to, to put it. And Queensland's flavour, uh, for better or for worse, has been heavily influenced by Jamie Bache. The man has a, an incredibly deep and baritone voice. He has some fantastically pithy and laconic one-liners that he, that he comes out with. And I still quote him to this day, and <laughs> believe it or not, I, I still hear his voice in my head and often repeat things with my own very poor uh, imitation of his, of his baritone. Uh, he was a massive influence to me. He, he taught me about, about ethic, I think, first and foremost. And, you know, I think <laughs> the only other way I could have got such a good introduction to ethic would have possibly to join the army, because Jamie has a very disciplined approach towards ethic. He has a, a, a no-nonsense idea about how things are done. And he's very specific with what he wants. And you know, the man can tear verbal strips off you if you've um, disappointed him. But he's also not backwards and coming forwards when it comes to praise when you've done a good job. And um, I considered him a real father figure uh, within Kennards. Uh, I still speak extremely higher of him, uh, highly of him, sorry. And um, yeah, quite often I hear his voice when I'm making decisions now. But um, in sales, I've had I've had a few, but the one that, that really sticks out was a gentleman by the name of Peter Jones. He was, um, he was head of sales with Hilti. He's, he's since moved on earlier last year, just before I, I left the organisation. And the man was the epitome of uh, the mercurial salesman. You go into boardroom discussions, you know, very high level with, you know, general managers, you know, chief financial officers. And I would be sitting there quaking in my boots. But but Peter Jones, PJ, as he's, as he's more commonly referred to, could just come at you from a thousand different ways. You know, it'd be like trying to you know, look for a comet going to you know, hit planet Earth from the, the vast areas of, of interstellar space. You know, you had no idea where he was coming from. Uh, I'll use the word mercurial again. He was just so diverse in his approach. And he really left people with no, no option but to buy from him. He was such a passionate advocate for what he did. And the man knew absolutely nothing about the product itself. He was just so confident that it was, that it was good. He could identify customers that would be relevant. And he chased them down relentlessly. So he was very kind to me. He was actually the one that originally, originally got me the position in, uh, in Perth. I'd assumed he was just a, a rep walking into my branch at, uh, at Waverley down there in Sydney. And I was looking to, to move on. I asked him if there's any work going on. He gave me one of his cards and told me to give him a call. And when I later looked at the card later on at home, I realized that he was not a sales rep. He was considerably high up in the business. But I guess he kind of took me under his wing. You know, he taught me a, a lot about sales. And I could never be Peter Jones, and <laughs> very few people could. But as far as just being confident in, in, in the product, you know, and, and being confident in my delivery, he taught me so much about that. So those two guys are probably the, the bigger influences that I've had in my career. Very nice. And if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Oh, that's a great question. I'd say perhaps two things. A, be less sensitive. Uh, I was incredibly sensitive when I was younger to criticism, especially, and rejection, uh, which is a big problem in sales. And I, I would just tell myself to be less sensitive that when it comes to business, things, despite perhaps seeming incredibly personal sometimes, they're almost never personal. You know, whether you, you're told in abusive fashion to get the hell out of a, a person's business, it's not you. You know, like it's, it's very rare that it could ever be you. You know, you're just some 
stranger that's walking off the street looking to, to sell some product. You know, something's happened there before. There's been a bad experience going on. It's to be to detach myself from those sorts of situations and, you know, be a little bit less sensitive, a little bit more emotionally mature. I think that would be a bit of advice that, that would have been, um, you know, well-received by me as a, as a youth. But the only problem is, which leads into my second bit of advice, was that I would have told myself to listen to the more tenured, more experienced people around me. I think I quite often fell into the, the trap of, you know, assuming, you know, what do you know, you old bugger like, yeah. but I've learned since having a child and I think you'll, you'll understand you have a little one at home too. You'll learn this too, that when you're young, you think you've got it all figured out. You think you are the smartest thing that's ever walked in the face of this earth and you're not aware that the people above you, the people around you, the people that have been through those roles before, they know where you're coming from. They know what you're talking about. They've seen all the tricks. They've tried them all over themselves. So I would have, I would say, A, be less sensitive and, and B, really take advantage of that experience that you have around you. You know, if you want to, if you want to catapult yourself into you know, the upper echelons of, of competence um, in any given field, then you have all the experience around you that you need down, whether it's working for Kennards, where so many of the, the people that are at upper levels, um, you know, started where, where you first started as well, or in sales where, you know, often the, the person at the top of the food chain is the, the best salesman that you've got there and that's as it should be. So yeah, less sensitive, be more mindful of others' experience. Yeah, some great answers there. And how do you define success? You must get some incredibly uh, varied answers to that question. Success is a, is a, it's a very intangible thing. And I think it means different things for different people. You know, I guess on a, on a personal level or professional level, I should say that it's, you know, success is obviously, you know, do you hit your number or don't you hit your number when it comes to sales? That's the, that's the measure of your success. But I think if you were to take it on a, um, on a fundamental level or metaphysical level, however you want to put it, the quality of your success is directly correlated to the quality of your goal setting. You know, if you put some focus into what you want to do on a, on a day, a week or a monthly basis, then that's where you're really going to get some success. So I think the, the correct answer for myself to that question is, is to achieve the goals that you personally set for yourself on a professional and, uh, and a private basis, you know, whether it's a, you know, something you wish for your family or for your child or, or you know, some, some education on the side or whether it's your professional career where, you know, you want to achieve A, B, C, or D. You know, you need to invest time into that and then work religiously at those goals. And if you do that, then you not only experience success, you experience success of the highest order. So that's, that's how I would define it. Yeah, I like that you said work religiously on something. Like something that I've, even in my life, I've tried to focus a bit more on and, and one of my mentors actually gave me this advice, which I think about all the time. And it's like at the end of the day or every couple of days, I try and think back and look at what I'm trying to work on in the big picture. And I think, all right, what have I done to get closer to that big picture or that smaller goal or whatever it is? And I've done, if I've done nothing in that day or two or week, like how can I expect to get any closer to that goal? And so I, I almost like, get annoyed at myself if I look at it and I think what like I was just like watching TV or I was just playing whatever or whatever I was doing if I if I find myself just wasting like five hours or six hours of a day when I could be doing something else whether it's personal or work related or whatever it is that's something that I think I've changed a lot over the last few years where I've been really focused on like capturing those micro moments and and just getting the little wins uh throughout the year yeah yeah definitely definitely and I think, you know, responsibility is, is the key for that. You know, you get a lot of, um, especially in, in the sales industry, you get a lot of 
personal empowerment, you know, and you can do one or two things with that. You know, you can, you can vacillate, you can procrastinate, you can, you know, tick the boxes, you can make up the numbers, you know, or you can, you can pile on as, as much responsibility as you can possibly handle. And that's where the meaning is found in life. And, and it's, that's true of, you know, a relationship. It's true of being a parent. And it's definitely true professionally as well. You know, like if you, if you actively engage in, in responsibility, and that's responsibility for your own goal setting, and that's responsibility for your own success, that's where the real meaning is to be found in, in anything you do day in life. So yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. I find, you know, like as fun as it is to, you know, kick back and have a few beers watching the cricket, like you, you've always got that thought in the back of your mind, like, oh, you know, I could be, I could be working towards this. I could be working towards that. And I think that's the way to go. You know, like there's a, a theory that, you know, that we should be, um, chasing happiness but that's that's an ephemeral dream you know i think happiness is what happens when you're when you're doing everything else right in your life you know so i think first and foremost you know you need to focus really really heavily on on your responsibilities you know and that's where the meaning is and once you get that right that's where the happiness comes from yeah that's amazing all right steve well thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast i thank you mark it's been an absolute pleasure and all the best with the, with the future this podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner ken Artside.